Good morning, everyone. This is Jeffy Kennedy, author of Fantasy Romance and Romantic Fantasy. I'm here with my first cup of coffee. Mm. <laughs> Wonderful, delicious. Wish you were here. Glad you're here because you are here with me having a cup of coffee, if only virtually. Today is January 26th, 2021. It is a banner day today because my mom and stepdad Dave are getting their COVID-19 vaccinations today. Yay! Um, <laughs> it's such a relief. It's just, um, just a weight off. I think I'm more relieved than my mom is. I, she doesn't seem to be I, she wants to get her life back and be able to do things. Um, I'm just, you know, knee-wateringly relieved. Um, almost, almost a year later now, right? So, um, also tomorrow, when I will not do a podcast, tomorrow I have, um, is our anniversary. 30 years, 30 year anniversary. So that's amazing to contemplate how many years it's been. So, um, yeah. And no, we're not doing <laughs> anything special. Maybe we'll get good takeout. Uh, I thought about maybe we should like go up to a B&B at Dallas or something like that. But I would rather wait. I would just rather wait until we can go out and um, do all of the fun things, be able to go out to dinner and so forth. I think, um, you know, like once my folks are vaccinated, then we'll be in a good place to do that. And then uh, if we get to be um, together soon, maybe we can go do beach vacation or something like that looking forward to all of those things. So, uh, very excited. Uh, things are looking up. Dawn of a new era, right? So, Golden Griffin and the Bear Prince is doing very nicely. Thank you, everyone pre-ordered, who bought. Uh, thank you, everyone who um, has been saying lovely things about the book very much have been appreciating what everyone has been saying about it. Um, slightly spoilery thing. If you have not read it yet, cover your ears for like, I don't know, 30 seconds. Those of you who guessed that the scene that uh, somebody, that a reviewer said she really loved. I, you know what? This isn't that spoilery. You don't have to cover your ears because she does say it in the review. Um, is indeed the the conversation between Aster and Ryan, where Aster calls Ryan out for being kind of bullheaded. And yeah, I did take it out, or I did consider taking it out just because it felt a little sideways. Um, obviously, Ryan and Lena's story is is one that's going to take a while to re resolve. I'll tell you right now, their their story is the fourth book. So, uh, the next book is Jack and Stella and Ryan and Lena 
aren't going to be able to resolve their stuff into the fourth book. And that's because they have a lot of stuff to get resolved. Um, and I wanted that to be a real redemption arc in a way. Uh, and so some of that is uh, needing Ryan to get his head out of his ass in multiple ways. And, and it was good. I mean, it does illuminate Aster's character because Aster is obviously this tremendously honorable person. And Aster, Aster is woke in, in certain ways that, um, I don't, I almost don't like to use the word woke anymore because it seems to have gotten appropriated by the people who talk about it. Like it's, um, a manufactured thing. Whereas with Aster, it comes from his genuine, uh, real integrity, who he is as a person. He understands things on an intrinsic level in a way that uh, Ryan does not because Ryan has his head up his ass. <laughs> so anyway, um, so yeah, it's fun to get to explore some of those things. Uh, somebody else, uh, actually it was the same reviewer, uh, Words Are Life, who made a wonderful um, video and has said lovely things about it. She, she said... Um, that she really liked that Esther kept checking in for consent, which is not really how I thought of it, but, but that is absolutely who Esther is. I mean, he's, he's just, um, you know, very concerned about doing the right thing and being an honorable person. And that's who he is to the bone. So, um, in other news, what all was I going to tell you? I certainly had things. I did get some really nice news on Dark Wizard. Um, those of you who are longtime podcast listeners know that uh, that there's been it's been a little bit of an ordeal, right? Getting with this book um, for for not good reasons, um, bizarre reasons. I still don't understand. Um, exactly what happened with, um, and I probably have been a little bit cryptic about it, and I, I will continue to be cryptic, but I did get Marcella Bernard, who is one of my oldest crypt partners. Um, Marcella and I have been trading work since 2009, I think, 2008, 2009. Uh, for those of you asking, how do you find critique partners? Uh, I met Marcella through the fantasy futuristic and paranormal online chapter of RWA. So that was, um, it's been a fruitful friendship. And if you haven't read her books, you should, because they're amazing. I think I interviewed her on the podcast before. I'm pretty sure I did. Maybe I'll remember to link to it. If I can find it. Um, but Marcella's wonderful. She's down in Florida now. But Marcella is one of those people I trust um, to, to give me an honest opinion without stomping on the story. 
she always sees what could be, but she's also, um, I don't know, she doesn't blow sunshine up my skirt, which is really important in a critique partner because, and, and it's a delicate balance because you have to have someone who trusts that you can trust that they will, I don't know, that they will treat your story gently, that they will um, be respectful, I suppose, of, of the work that you've put into it, but at the same time that they will be perfectly honest with you. So uh, Marcella sent me this email. I asked her to read Dark Wizard after I did my revision. and. I was, I've said, I'd set aside a week to do another revision on it, depending on what she said. This is what Marcella told me. She says, okay, you are a terrible human being. <laughs> told you she's honest. You are a terrible human being because now I have writer envy. I wish I'd written that. This is lovely. It's fast. It's compelling to the point of me dreaming about the world last night. The magic system is clear. So is the concept and the world. I went ahead and did markup because I could. There's very little of that even. I didn't have any place where I missed anything. Um, and she goes on with some specifics, which I won't tell you, um, just in case you don't want spoileries yet. Um, she says, other than that, this is super solid, and I really, really enjoyed it. You've got a good one on your hands. Isn't that wonderful? Um, she is the second person because Dorinda told me that she wished she had written it too. And that's, um, you know, that's, that's the best, the, the best compliment your writer friends can give you. So it has restored some of my shattered confidence in this story. Um, Trying to decide how much I can tell you guys. Well, I think I can tell you. Um, you know, Agent Sarah hated the book. She just hated it. Um, I. She's told me since, because we had to have so, several heart-to-heart -heart conversations about it. She's told me that she didn't hate the book, but she thought that it wasn't marketable. Um and that all of her comments were directed towards that. However, the comments that she'd made about the book, the way, I mean, she really, <laughs> I felt like she hated it. Um, she just, the things that she was saying about that she felt didn't work in the book, uh, I came away thinking that she had been really triggered by aspects of the story, which can happen sometimes. Uh, but it was, I was so blindsided by that because I had been so excited about this book. You all, you know, who listen to me long-term and listen to me consistently uh, know that I loved writing it, that it was an idea I'd had for a long time, that the initial feedback, even from Sarah on the initial pages were, you know, all, all love. Um, and I've mentioned, you know, like Grace still loves the pages of the mind best but she, this is her favorite, second favorite book of mine now. Um, you know, these are all people that I really trust to tell me the truth, you know, and, and have told me, you know, they have told me when something's not working. Uh, so I don't know why, but 
I've been thinking a lot about the idea of universal fantasies. And one of the romance author mastermind workshops was from Theodora Taylor, and she talked about universal fantasies. Uh, very similar for those of you who have listened to Jennifer Barnes' talks about writing for the id. Uh, it's, it's a really interesting approach. And Theodora Taylor used examples from like the Disney version of Beauty and the Beast and Cinderella, talking about how we read for these universal fantasies. And it's interesting because some of my experiences with traditional publishing is that agents and editors sometimes shy away from those universal fantasies in ways that are can be perplexing. Um, sometimes I think they feel like it's not appropriate uh, as far as, you know, like sometimes things that are universal fantasies and, and Theodora really talked well about this, you know, the, I, you know, like some of the abduction and forced seduction fantasies, you know, she said that a lot of that is, you know, she says, of course, no woman wants these things. She said, but the idea of like being taken from her drab life or not drab, but you know, like the, the daily grind of her life with her, you know, feeding her children and this kind of thing. And somebody, you know, some terribly sexy man abducts you and takes you and makes you be a sex slave. And you don't, uh, you don't have to cook for your children anymore. You know, that there, there's an allure to that. And, and these things get twisted up because people want to take it to real life and say, you know, but you wouldn't want this in real life. It's like, of course you wouldn't want it in real life. But but the fantasy is compelling. Uh, I'm just thinking of some of the things she says, and I won't reiterate her whole talk because she does give a lovely workshop. Uh, and I'm realizing I should pause and talk about the earrings before I run out of time and forget. So today I am wearing two different kinds of earrings. And I alluded to this before because I have all of these earrings that I've lost one of the pair. And, and I've posed the question, which nobody has commented on. It's like, am, am I the only person who loses one earring or am I the person who keeps them? Uh, do other people consider a pair of earrings ruined if you only have one? For me, I'm very happy with asymmetry. I am happy to, <laughs> in fact, in college, I used to wear different earrings all the time. Uh, just because why wear two of the same thing when you have the opportunity to wear two different things? I do have only one set of holes in my ears. Um, I never did get more piercings, partly because if you were listening the other day, and piercings are problematic for me. So these are gold dangly earrings that are on the surface quite simple. One is a chain of three gold rings that are looped together. And on the other side, it's a pair of uh, diamond shapes where one diamond is hanging inside the other. And I like wearing these together 
because of the contrast of the spheres versus the diamonds and they're both golden dangly and they're sparkly and they make me happy. Um, but every once in a while somebody will say, are you wearing two different earrings? And I'll say, yes. And, and it's funny that people seem to find that like a disruptive thing to do. There will be more of these. Probably I should get like, I don't know. Do people do this anymore in the, in the eighties, people would get like a second piercing in just one year. So you could wear like uh, a pair of earrings and then a third, but I don't know. I don't know. Um, do I wish that I had the matching earrings still? Yes, I probably do. But, you know, I mentioned, I, I feel like I don't have enough gold dangly earrings and it's because I always lose one. So here I can wear, I can wear my mismatched pair. So does that tie into a universal fantasy? Probably not. Um, having somebody shower you with jewels? Maybe. <laughs> so one of the things that I've talked about many times, going back to universal fantasies and having a strong reaction to something is, and I, I probably don't have time to talk about this in depth. Maybe I should make a note to talk about it Thursday, but it's the idea of love and hate and radio stations. I have this whole, whole spiel about this. Um, and Taylor Swift, <laughs> all of these things are tied together. Um, I'm going to try to talk about it real quick and then we'll see if I need to talk about it more on Thursday. Um, so a, long, a while back, and maybe this goes back to the 80s too, when Clear Channel started taking over all the radio stations. It used to be, children, that radio stations were very local and what they played was up to that DJ. And that's why, like in movies about old bands, you'll see the bands like traveling from radio station to radio station to get them to play the record. But as this became corporatized, and maybe it's not fair to blame it all on Clear Channel, but that was how I always heard the story, was that they came up with a central playlist that they would then give to the radio stations. And it created this unifying across the U.S. of that everybody was listening to the same music all the time. And Clear Channel was also very invested in making sure that people did not change the station. They wanted people to put on the radio station and listen to that station all day long uh, it, because that was where they were getting their ad revenue, right, was having people listen. So they did these studies to find out what made people change the radio station. And they found out that if people loved the song, if a song came on that they loved, that, you know, that you, you turn up the volume and you dance, right? You know, they're playing my song. A uh, little Miley Cyrus for you there. <laughs> Although I totally associate that song with Pitch Perfect for what it's worth. Anyway, uh, but they found that an equal number of people would changed the radio station because they hated that song. And it turned out to be this very predictable, statistically reproducible phenomenon that for every person who loved the song and turned it up, there was another person who hated the song and changed the channel. But if the person neither loved nor hated the song, 
they wouldn't touch the channel. They would just let it go. And you know how that is. Like you've been listening to the radio station or something and it's like you don't even know what song's playing, right? Because it's just kind of meh. It doesn't bother you. It doesn't intrude. Well, that serves, that served Clear Channel's purposes because they did not want people to change the radio station. So what they did was they created these playlists of music that were all in the middle. They were songs that people neither loved nor hated, um, which I think is fascinating because it it created this very bland musical scene, which people began to notice. And there were there was some pushback to that, fortunately. But it's something to keep in mind uh, because I think that's what's happened with Dark Wizard. I think that this book that I have had some of my writer friends respond to saying that they love this book. I think with Agent Sarah, I got an equal and opposite reaction where she said she hated it. Um, what do you do? What do you do? I mean, is your answer then to simply write a book where people don't change the station, right? Where it's, meh, maybe that's good for sales. I don't know. Contemplate. Discuss among yourselves. We'll come back to this Thursday, if I remember. It will help if you comment, then I will be more likely to, but I'll try to make myself know. Anyway, um, I will remind you that First Cup of Coffee is part of the Frolic Media Podcast Network, and you will find more podcasts you love at frolic.media slash podcasts. And I will talk to you all on Thursday. You all take care. Bye-bye.